About the time we were assembling down there at the community center was about the time that that shooter was walking into that church building. So evil is everywhere, and uh, we just pray for the good to come out of that in some way for those folks. Also pray for our number here. Evidently several are sick. We know a lot of them are out visiting and traveling. So, uh, so pray for them that all will be recovered and returned safely to us. You want to turn to Ephesians 4. That will be our first scripture. It's been said many times you can't outgive God. And I believe that's true. And God continues to give great blessings if we just look for them. God is everywhere. Jesus is everywhere. There's a glorious creation out there. You can see his handiwork, his beauty, his wisdom, his power, his goodness. We have the blessings of family, uh, which are patterned after the Godhead. Food, which we had a lot of food last week. Goodness of life. Just all the... Shirley and I reflecting yesterday, just uh, enjoying a cup of coffee. Just uh, how good that is, if you like coffee. Gifts from God. You know, we just take things for granted. We overlook things. We're such in a hurry to go somewhere and do nothing that we miss the good stuff. We really do. Too many people today see God as a harsh taskmaster, make you toe the line, or as distant and uncaring, like with the shooting. Where was God? You know, where was God? It's God's fault. No, it's not God's fault. None of that's ever God's fault. We're not getting into that today. But we need to see that God is always the great giver of all the goodness in life. Whatever great and good things you have in your life are a gift from God. In one place, Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthians, he says, What do you have that you did not receive? And that's true. Your very body in which you live is a gift from God. The mind you have is a gift from God. Your soul and spirit is a gift from God. Ephesians 4, 7, and 8. I realize in the context here, and I'll read that in a minute, that Paul is writing about spiritual gifts and the way God had left uh, the, con- uh, the church, given uh, special positions and offices for the church to flourish. But notice what he writes here, he says in Ephesians 4, 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And grace, of course, is, speaks of a favor and something that certainly is not deserved. But he says to each one of us, perhaps he's talking about salvation, which of course is a gift from God if we'll accept it and follow through with it. But he's, he's talking about other things. 
He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, meaning of Christ, he led captive a host of captives. Certainly he did. He overcame the devil and Hades and death and so many other things, the power of sin. And he gave gifts to men. And you can go on and read the rest there. He talks about gave some as apostles, prophets, you know, those various positions. But in other places we understand that through the Holy Spirit, gifts were also given. And God continues to give gifts today. Uh, Any ability or talent that you have is a gift from God. And we, we encourage folks, as we've said so many times, to discover those gifts You've been given by God those talents and develop them. Develop them and use them for Christ. That's, that's our responsibility. Sometimes, however, we don't appreciate the gifts because we're not aware of them. So we need to have our eyes and ears open all the time to the gifts of God. So I want us to go to Mark 2. And I'm going to handle this a little bit differently, uh, maybe, than you've ever heard it handled, because I saw here as I read this, marvelous gifts of Christ, okay? If we're looking for ways that he gives. I know Jimmy led us in the songs that really kind of focus on salvation, and obviously that is a gift from God. If he didn't offer that gift, you know, we'd be lost, and it came through Christ. He is the ultimate gift, the cross, his death for us, the propitiation. But here I think we can see, if we open up our mind, the other, all the other gifts that God gives through Christ and that Jesus gives. So Mark 2, chapter 1. When he'd come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Now there's a gift here from Jesus. And that gift is the word of God. The word of life. If you've heard me say so many times, the word of truth. And what an amazing, inspiring scene this is here. Just kind of picture it in your mind, this little Jewish house. Probably a stucco type thing, not very big. And there's so many people gathered around this little house because they want to hear the word of God. The word of God is a gift to us. These people were hungry for the word of God. They wanted to hear it. They wanted to hear Jesus... Jesus here, you know, okay, Jeff, I know where you're going. The Word of God, the Word became flesh. Here's the living Bible sitting there teaching them, if you will. You know, the Bible wasn't completed yet, but there's the Word of God teaching. And he came to be among us and to be one of us, Emmanuel, God with us. It was, if you will, a home Bible study. And it appears to be in Jesus' home wherever he was staying at that time. And people came to hear that incredible gift, priceless gift. And, you know, again, we encourage you to read your your Bible, to read the Holy Scriptures. 
Most people don't understand what's in there because they haven't taken the time to dig into it. They rarely read it, they rarely study it, and they don't let it guide them day by day. And if you're not doing that, you're really missing out. You're missing out on the wonderful gift from God, all the glorious truths that come to us in this book through Jesus. These folks were hungry. They wanted that gift. But let's read on. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. Another beautiful picture here, four men carrying a paralyzed, I think, man. I don't know if it says a man or not. Man, okay. And they get up on, they see the crowd. They can't get close. We're not told how many. But they can't get near. So they get up on the roof some way, and this, you know, shows the structure of these houses. They were just made of, a lot of times, just that stucco, sometimes just mud and wood. And they dug, as it says, they dug down through that roof, made a big hole so they could let the man down so Jesus could heal him. What does this say that Jesus gives us here? This says Jesus gives us faith. Someone to believe in. Someone we can trust with our life. We don't have the background here on any of these men, the four or the one who was paralyzed, or whose idea it was. Maybe it was a paralytic. Maybe he heard about Jesus. Or maybe these men had been out and heard Jesus and seen some of his miracles or heard, this guy can heal. But somewhere, somebody got the idea, and it says their faith, doesn't it? Their faith, maybe it's all of them, said, let's take him to Jesus. Because he can heal him. Whatever it was that produced faith in them, and that faith moved them to action. Faith without works is dead. It's dead. This was a living faith in Jesus Christ, and it was produced in them, these men, by having heard about him. And so they bring the man, they make the hole, they let him down. It's real faith. They overcame obstacles. To get this man healed. You know, faith is uh, is not something that's restricted to religion or to the Bible. We put faith in in things all the time. How many of you have ever put faith in a doctor? You believe this doctor can do this surgery for me, right? Or you believe this medication can help me. Right? You put faith in that. That's why you take it. Somebody said, that's good for you. We put faith in banks and financial institutions, don't we? Don't we? Where's your IRA? Where's your savings account? 
Maybe you still have it under the mattress. I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's your thinking. You don't put faith in those institutions because some of them fail, don't they? Some of them have failed in the past, but still we are moved to put faith in them to protect our money, to grow our money. What about government? Every one of us here has faith in our government today that they will protect us from enemies. You might not ever think that, but you do. But you do. You have faith in the police department here that if you make a call, they will come to help you out. Or the ER, or the emergency squad. You you have faith in them, they'll show up. You have faith within your family. You trust your spouse to do certain things, right? You do. We have faith all the time in people and institutions. And it causes us to act or react in a certain way toward them. It's there all the time. As we said, sometimes they reward our faith, and sometimes they fail us, don't they? As we said, sometimes these banks have gone under. People have lost a lot of money. Sometimes a a spouse will fail another spouse and they'll walk out. Despite anything and everything you can do, they'll just go. Faith is broken. Jesus is someone whom we can fully trust. Fully trust with everything, every aspect, all that we have, every part of our lives. He will never let us down. He will never walk away from us. He will never forsake us. You know the scripture in Hebrews. Never. He cannot deny himself. He is God. He cannot lie. He says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. And so he's the one that really generates true faith and one that we can trust and take to the bank, if you want to use that terminology, all your life. So Jesus gives faith. But let's read on in this little uh, event here. Jesus has says something very strange right there at the end of 5. says, you know, they let down the paralytic through the roof. Obviously, the idea is, we, we know, Jesus, you can heal this man. We'd like for you to heal this man. But he doesn't address that right away, does he? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. What's that all about? Why does he do that? Well, of course, Jesus always surprises us, doesn't he? Because he's always way ahead of us, trying to make points, do this or do that. We can't outthink him. And so... That's what he said. So verse 6 says, but some of the scribes are sitting there, you know, those old scribes, lawyers of the, of the law of God, you know, the, the old covenant, sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, 
Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? The scribes, of course, uh, you know, representing the temple, the temple authorities. Later on, Jesus gets into with Pharisees, Sadducees, high priests, and others who are trying to protect their territory. Only it could interpret the law in the way they saw it and became the eventual enemies of Jesus and bringing him to his death. So what does Jesus give us here? He gives us a champion to fight against all the villains of life, both spiritual and the flesh. He's the superhero. How many of you watch those superhero movies? That's all. Anola watches superhero movies. Oh, wow. Okay. I used to read the comic books when I was little, some of those crazy things, Flash and whatever. Jesus is the real, he sees the evil, the villains coming, and he right away, he stands against them. He says, why are you talking about that, thinking about that in your minds? Scribes here obviously don't believe him. They're doubters. They're opposing anything different from their preconceived ideas. We need a champion as human beings. It's like we were studying in uh, Bible class this morning about Israel, and God had said, we'll put a king over you, and, and eventually David, and then eventually Christ Jesus, he is king. We need a champion to lead us into battle, to fight for us, we, we cannot do this alone. We cannot fight this fight against Satan by ourselves. We need to want someone to show us how to do it and to lead us in the battle. And so Jesus here is the champion. He points out the real enemies and he helps us overcome them. As Paul writes in Ephesians there, uh, he's given us the armor, the armor of God to put on. But it comes from Christ Jesus the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace on the feet, the sword of the Spirit, shield of faith. Notice how all those connect to Jesus Christ. Every last one of them, the belt of truth. Jesus on the way, the truth and light, they all connect to Jesus. Every last one of them. He's our champion and he leads us in battle. Well, let's read on here. Mark 2, 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? Now, let's just stop there. Let's just see what, where Jesus is going. He just said, your sins are forgiven. How would anybody know that? I mean, how, about, how would anybody know that? You know, he's not really... Well, obviously, the scribes aren't accepting him as God... And I don't know that anybody else there at this point really understands him as being the son of God. Okay, this is very early in his ministry. So just because I say to somebody here, your sins are forgiven, so how would you know? Do I have the authority? In fact, that's what the question becomes here. 
Does he have the authority to do that? Which, which is easier to say to somebody? Your sins are forgiven, or pick up your pallet or your bed and walk? The point is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because nobody can prove it, that the sins are forgiven. If I say to this person, take up your bed and walk, we immediately find out whether that person has the authority to do that, to heal. Because either that person will get up and walk or they won't, right? So this is where Jesus is taking this. Verse 10, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He's going to demonstrate, all right, I've said your sins are forgiven, but you don't believe me. So I'm going to show you that I do have authority. And I'm, not going, to, and I'm going to show it in a different way by telling this man that he's healed. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. Now just put yourself there in that little house. You've got to be able to feel the tension. You know, Jesus, well, the scribes by their thinking, but then Jesus has confronted them, and there's tension here. Who's telling the truth, right? Who is this? Is this guy for real? Okay. What, what's going to happen next? Pick up your pallet and walk. Does it say immediately? Got up and immediately, okay. So there wasn't a whole lot of time here, but still you could, under, you could hear what's going to happen. Can, will, it, will he walk? And he does. And in fact, he does right away. And then he immediately picks up his bed and went out in the sight of everyone. So, so what did that prove? That Jesus could heal, right? He could heal the paralytic, but what else did it prove? He had the authority to forgive sins. That's where he took it. And so what did that make him? It made him God. Because only God can forgive sins. Wow. The gift, forgiveness of sins. It's a gift. It's part of salvation. If our sins aren't forgiven, we're not saved, right? There's still a barrier there between us and God. They need to be forgiven so we can be reconciled to God and become part of his family, be in Christ. So Jesus demonstrates that authority and proves himself to be God in the flesh, the Son of God. Forgiveness of sins is the gift. Verse 12, let's finish it. Well, let's read it again. He got up, immediately picked up the pallet, went out in the sight of everyone, so they were all amazed. We're glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The gift, of course, is healing. He also gives the gift of healing, doesn't he? The paralyzed man gets up and walked visible evidence of Jesus' power to heal, and to forgive sin. 
Mike prayed in his prayer for Leland and Loudon that they would be well. Were those just words? Or did he really expect that God would intervene in some way to heal those two little guys? When you pray about illnesses, surgeries, and the such like, do you really expect God to heal? Or are you just totally trusting the doctors and the medicine? It's a question you need to answer. Otherwise, if you don't expect God to heal, why even pray? If you do not expect God to intervene and do something, why pray? What's the point? Jesus heals today, I believe that. Body, heart, and soul. He's a great healer. He can give you peace within, forgiveness. The brokenness, we sang that one song that talked about brokenness. We're all broken inside. Now we need to accept his healing in the way, you know, we need to confess sin. We need to open up. And I'll tell you what, he will give you peace. He will give you joy. That's what he's about. The Holy Mike was praying about the Holy Spirit, the comforter, counselor. That's what God is for. He's for us. He doesn't want us walking around feeling guilty, feeling down, being depressed, carrying burdens. That's not what he wants for his people. And too many of us aren't taking advantage of this healing that Jesus brings. The joy of the Lord should be our strength. So this is just kind of a snippet here from Jesus' life. But I think we can see all these things that he gives to us and Maybe when you read some more through the Gospels and some of these other events, you can see other things. I know you can see other things that he gives. So he gives us the word of truth. He is the one that gives us faith because we can truly trust in him. He is a champion. He gives forgiveness and salvation, and he gives us healing. And so kind of to wrap it up, there's two. another thing here looking at the whole thing that I see that he gives because we read that whole story and see who he is and what he did. He gives us hope, doesn't he? That there's somebody watching over all of this. There there is a God. He did come here. He knows what it's like. And he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling, interceding for us, blessing us, answering prayer, and helping to bring us home. He's there. He's made that promise. And as we've prayed so often, the greatest gift, of course, is himself. Right? That he did come here and give himself and become one of us. And that because of him, all these other things, all these other gifts, all these other spiritual blessings, read Ephesians chapter 1, 
are possible through him and only through him. We call children of God, forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, the, the spiritual blessings, an inheritance, eternal life, all gifts through and because of Jesus Christ. He's the focus of everything. It's all about him. I'm sorry, it's not about me, and it's not about you. It's all about him. Are you ready this morning to come to Jesus? Maybe something we said, something was read here about in this story that will move you to want to serve the Lord. We're here to assist you to obey the gospel, to be baptized into Christ where all of these spiritual blessings are. If you're a Christian and uh, you don't see Jesus as the giver, you're struggling all the time. You're, you're in doubt, you're worried, you're troubled. He came to give you peace, to heal that, that broken life as we're going to sing about here. That's where I saw that. Your broken life to patch you up inside and out. Now, that doesn't mean things aren't going to hurt sometimes, or, but you know, now, now you've got this focus, this real faith, this, this joy that knows no matter what Satan throws my way, with God's help, with Jesus' help, I can overcome it, I can get through it, and things will be better on the other side. So if you want to bring Christ to your broken life this morning, please come while Brother Jim leads us.